played to it. The like killer the, has a great ass is a strong line that needs to be processed on its own. It needs to be visualized. Hey, and uh, sorrow fuels the dark side or whatever that fucking quote was from the prequels. Just, just start the damn podcast. Already did. Welcome to Running the Light, a comedy podcast where comedians talk about what inspires them. Uh, and I am your host, Jeremy Plum, and with me is my other host. I'm David Kalsgaard. Thank you for joining us this week. Uh, we don't have a guest this week. Normally we have a guest. They bring on the, the album that they want to talk about, and we, uh, you know, we, we let them kind of dictate what our conversation is. We didn't get yep. a guest this week. Uh, we'll have one again next week, uh, one that I'm really excited for. But this week, Jeremy picked an album. Uh, how did you hear about this album? Twitter. You heard about yeah. it through, just through Twitter? A uh, comedian recommended it, and she, uh, and I forgot who, and she said, hey, his use of silence is really good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to talk about, that's an aspect of comedy I really like, and I'm really passionate about, and I love. And sometimes I don't think I talk about it enough on this podcast. I really like the use of silence in a joke. It's very important. Uh, and that, of course, is Nick Nemiroff's The Pursuit of Comedy is Ruining My Life. Has ruined my life. Has ruined my life. And it's, I, I think it's just come out like a week or so ago. Yeah, like it, came out, it came out very recently. I looked into it. Uh when you told me we were going to talk about it. And I think it came out. Yeah. It came out sometime during the whole quarantine period. So I think mid March. Let me tell you, I'm just going to be right off the bat with everyone. Uh, Here's, here's how much I liked it. Mm. I bought it. Wow. That's saying something. (laughs) I went out of my way. I looked on his website I found that there was a Bandcamp uh, link, and Bandcamp uh, last night was saying, hey, we'll remove uh, our fee to the artist, so it just all goes to them. And I went, I'm going to buy this immediately. Uh, it's, uh, and I don't do that often, unless it's like a vinyl, and it's like, I, I, I can't find this online. I'm going to just grab it so I can discover it. Um, but I think I've only bought Liz Mealy's Emotionally uh, Exhausting, and this. I also rarely ever buy any of the albums that we talk about on the, unless I have already yeah. bought it, already watched it on Netflix. I very rarely oh. buy them because it. And come at, back to Yeah. I mean, because eventually at some point you're just going to end up going bankrupt trying to, every week we're talking about uh, Fuck new yeah. artists. And I'm not sure what you guys think. Uh, podcast hosts get paid, but it's not enough to buy an album every week. It's, fun fact, it's nothing right now for this one. <laughs> it's nothing. Um, yeah. If anybody has any advertisers, we would very much be interested in doing their ad reads. And almost any at this point. Like, really yeah. any. For the, uh, price, for the price is right, we will, we will read ads for any uh, company or organization uh, not affiliated with any sort of supremacy group. Right. Uh, we'll even support 
your bag of meat where the tagline is legally you're buying the bag. <laughs> bag of meat. Bag of meat. That's been that's been a skit me and Jacob and I've been sitting on. It's bucket of burgers, bag of meat. Um, what's the meat? I don't know. Never our slogan. Legally, this is performance art. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, I, I listened to uh, I listened to the album. Uh, not sure if I'm gonna buy it, but I did really, really like this album. I'm probably going to end up buying this one. It is. Uh, this was one that okay. I sent you a recommendation. I also sent a recommendation to friends of the podcast, Alex Kane from LA and Larry Smith from uh, Springfield from Springfield and Maura Gillen because we were all doing the Mario thing. That was mm. after three tracks. Yeah. No, it's it is a, just a it's a very well done album. It's very. Uh, it's just very, it's very smart. It's very, there's a lot of things on this that I don't know. I just have a I have a ton of thoughts about it. And I don't want to spill them all right now up top, but there are so many things going on in this album that I really appreciate from a joke writing standpoint, from a performance standpoint. Uh, it's just so good, such a good and album. It, let's let let me let me talk about spacing. Let me talk about let me talk about joke, uh, like not words, like the silence. Mm -hmm. So uh, let's say you're saying a joke, right? If you're doing a joke and it's more than like a sentence, even if it's just a sentence, as an audience member, your mind is kind of racing at what the punchline could be or even what it is. A good example mm -hmm. of, like, uh, of, of what the punchline is is – a good example is uh, in Kyle Kinane's I Like His Old Stuff Better when he's talking about getting a blowjob from the mentally handicapped girl with the uh, helmet. Yeah. He, he announces what the punchline is at the beginning of the joke. That's his intrusive thought. And then he uh, brings himself as a character that doesn't know what's going to happen and the audience already knows and they're gasping at certain sentences that are actually foreshadowing. And that's the bit. You know, that's what your mind's racing to. But on the flip side, that's where misdirection is. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, Nick, Nick reads a dirty limerick about the man from Nantucket whose dick was so long he could suck it. But actually what he does, he turns into a haiku and just cuts the word it out. And by being so slow, your mind is already racing and trying to go faster than them, try and get it. And then he goes, it's a haiku. And that, it, it's like comedy edging is kind of the phrase I was thinking about while, while listening to this. It's like you're, you're getting there, you're almost there, you're almost there, and then you get a different type of release. Yeah, there's a lot of times in this, uh, in this album where I, I, I just, I, I enjoyed the pacing of his jokes and he uses these sounds, because there's a lot of times, there's a lot of different ways that you can use silence in your stand-up. You can use it to uh, emphasize a point. You can use it to uh, help build tension before releasing it. What I think yep. he does really well with this silence is he's essentially giving the audience time to guess what he is going to say. He's, go he's giving them time to guess what the punchline 
is going to be. And then after they've all guessed, because you hear people starting to laugh during yeah. these silences after he hasn't said anything, but because they are getting, they are guessing the punchlines themselves. And then he hits them with his punchline and it's not anywhere close to what they were jumping to, what they that, went to. And that is the skill of not just a good comic, but a very smart comic. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he is a very smart joke writer. Um, and there were, there were a lot of times where the subversion came from there not being a joke. Like when he's telling yeah. the story about taking his cat to the vet. And the vet says something, he goes, and so I said, and he leaves that pause and people start chuckling. <laughs> and then he, he just says what you would say in a normal conversation. Yep, that that sounds good. Like that, like just yeah. something. Like it's the anti. It's the lack of a joke that is a joke in that particular bit that he does, and he and does it a couple of other times throughout the album as well, because he lets everybody else, you know, play their own. It's a color by numbers, but you, you know, he doesn't tell you what number is what color essentially. And he also directs you to think in one way, like in that Butters joke where he says, hey, he's really confident. Yeah, he gets that from his daddy mm-hmm. and follow that up with, hey, his testicles are really growing in. And then he holds that for a very healthy pause. Mm-hmm. He's audience letting, is going to think he gets it from his daddy. Yeah, he's letting them think their own punchline. And then he's subverting that expectation by... He's he's establishing the expectation early on, and then he's subverting the expectation later on in the joke, which is uh, that's just a brilliant joke writing tactic, especially the way that he pulls it off in that particular joke, where he's setting he's setting you up that the next thing he says is going to be another punchline, like he gets it from his daddy, uh, and then it's just. It, it's nothing, and then the, yeah. the lack the lack of that punchline it, it it gets the audience almost laughing at themselves for jumping to that conclusion rather than what he's trying to. It, I don't. It, it was just a. It's a. It, that was a brilliant piece of joke right. writing. And, and I think. Sorry, go on. No, it's okay. Um two things about when it comes to holding one he doesn't just hold for a misdirection you'll notice that he also does it to heighten like when he says i'm uncomfortable about my body about my Mm -hmm. naked body and then you could tell you could tell almost you could see his hands slowly moving towards his crotch to like heighten it you can you can hear it and he also does like hey if you thought ted bundy was hot you should have seen the guy that killed my friend's family pause yeah great ass like it's tightening <laughs> these tags and that, and that way because like, one thought i was thinking is like yeah you can tell there's a lot of misdirection how does it not get old it's mm-hmm. because the pauses are being used strategically in different ways and then he also changes it later which we'll talk about soon or later in the podcast but he he changes it up in a different way as well but the pauses are are an important tool he uses masterly like 
And the, the, the other thing that I appreciated about the way that he would pause during his set is there are, there's a lot of different thoughts that a lot of different comedians have when it comes to like, so you've hit them with the punchline and now are you hitting when you're hitting them with tags, which in a lot of jokes, he just like the, the joke itself is very short, but then he has like six or seven or eight tags on it that make you laugh even more. There's that mentality of, you know, I've heard some comedians say like, you get them up to that laugh. And then once that laugh starts to plateau, that's when you hit them with the tag. You never wait for that laugh to be done. You hit them with a tag right away to get to that next level of laughter. And this one, you kind of see him do that, but you also see him like people are completing the laugh. Like the yeah, laugh he waits done. till it's done. Now you hit him with another joke, get them another laugh. And, that, and I'm not sure if that's something that he chooses to do consciously or if that's just something he, you know, he decided to slow down for this album recording. I, I don't know. I noticed I don't that. Know Nick, but yeah. Sorry, what? I noticed that. And I think it's on purpose because that's a, it's a different type of misdirection. It's not you misdirecting about where the joke is going and it goes to, you know, instead of A, it goes to Z. Uh, no, it's it's a misdirection of I'm now finally done. I have processed all of it. Fuck, there's a new thing to process. It's that type of. It's almost an emotional misdirection. I think that's intentional, and I I I really like it. Yeah, I I I think that's yeah. I it comes across as an intentional choice, and I'm assuming that it would be an intentional choice. And I I don't know. I just like that. It's brave because. It's, me personally, I I do the I try to get the audience to a plateau of a laugh, and then I'll hit them with a tag so that the laugh isn't really over. It's just it it's continuing, but then You're there, almost comboing. Yeah, yeah. There's something to be said though about getting that hit, letting the audience rest, and then giving them another hit. Pardon me got the burpees uh it it gives the audience a little time to break it gives them it gives them because if you're in a if you're at a good comedy show and you're laughing a lot it can be pretty exhausting it is and also like they don't laugh as hard later on that's something we've talked about before Mm -hmm. and so what he's doing here is he's creating two equal highs by pausing but a newer comic might think uh, two things. One, I should slow down my jokes, which isn't always the case. And two, I should always do my tag after someone's done laughing, which is, isn't always the case. His tags are as funny or equally or even funnier than the base joke. Yeah, the, the and that's, what I mean, that, that's what makes a good tag. Yes. But, you know, an, an okay tag can still get you an extra laugh or depending on how you do it, an extra like, you know, 10 seconds of laughter, depending on if you wait for the audience to settle their laugh or you do the plateau heighten deal. Um, but if you have a tag that's just as good as the punchline why not wait for everybody to be done laughing right because that line deserves it's 
own attention paid to it. The like killer the, has a great ass is a strong line that needs to be processed on its own. It needs to be visualized in mm-hmm. its own way. And sometimes if you go too fast, you're not visualizing that amazing ass. Mm-hmm. And a lot of this stuff is just, it takes time to figure out if that's the pacing that works best for your joke style, if that's the pacing that works best for you as a person. And then there are certain things that you have to do. Like I imagine during his set, he doesn't move hardly ever at all. No, I, that's what I, I, I would can't imagine. feel like it. And because we have not have, seen his Conan clip. What'd you say? I said, I haven't seen his Conan clip. I don't know. And, if and even the, the, the late night clips aren't really good to judge how much people move off of because they have a mark that they have to stand on for the camera purposes so they can't really move uh but you like you can just tell that he's not moving around a lot he's not and that's fine and you have to match that your physicalness with that style that you do like you can't do this type of joke telling and be pacing on the stage like Chris Rock. No. Like you, if you're going to have this type of joke, and the the nice thing about that is it really focuses people on your words and it keeps you grounded, keeps you focused. And again, this is just all off the assumption that he doesn't move a lot when he's on stage. For all we know, maybe he does pace around like Chris Rock and that's what makes his slow telling of the joke even funnier, but I would have a hard time imagining that. What I liked about the special, and what's hard is in comedy albums that are only audio, sometimes there are jokes that don't play or a personality doesn't play in an audio medium. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, Kevin Hart, I think, might be one of those. I've not, I don't think I've listened to his only audio, but I think Kevin Hart is one of them. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There are some people uh, who do, that where it is better to see them visually than it is to hear them. I assume Carrot Top thrives in audio medium. Yes, because uh, who yeah. doesn't like having props explained to them? You know what, fuck it. I'd actually be down with that. That would be... <laughs> I'd be down. That'd be, that'd be how I'd do it. But, um, but he has a way where you visualize everything he's doing. Like, I can visualize the type of set he's on, how he's moving. In my head, he, he moves a lot like Sean Flaherty does, friend of the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, his cadence, all of that is well visualized in his words and even how the joke is laid out, simply in his words. Mm-hmm. And this it's, is all the first half of the album. Yeah. the It's just the... There's so much that, especially as a new comic, that you could take away learning from this. I do wish it was a special so you could see it visually to take away stage presence because the guy, he does have sort of, he has a weird, like, timid confidence. Yeah. When he's on stage. Where he's like, yeah, or <laughs> where you can <laughs> tell that he's, he's confident and he's comfortable being on stage talking in front of a bunch of people he is in control of that room but the character persona that he gives off is a little more uh insecure but it's not the way that i've seen some comedians try to play insecurity on stage where you just you actually look like you are an insecure person and you are not in control of this room at all and it doesn't work one iota 
for I that think type of performance. He's been compared to, and Alex Kane kind of brought it up, he's been compa- uh, compared to Dimitri Martin. And I mm-hmm. think that's the exact type of insecurity that he brings. Like, still, mm. uh, still in control, but, is, uh, but almost hates that he's in control, is afraid of him being in control. That's the way I would almost describe that. The, the way that I would frame it is like when it's like the confidence that like comic book, comic book people got when, you know, all of a sudden their culture was finally like acceptable. Like people yeah. are actually listening to them talk now because they want to know what the next Marvel movie might be about. And so all I, I, of a sudden these people have control of a room, but there's, and they can talk about the subject confidently but they're still uncomfortable being in that position of power. I assume that's the feeling Kevin Smith feels all the fucking time. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That and being unbearable. Like, just both of those together. I mean, you can't have one without the other. Uh, That's true. No, you're right. You're right. It was understated. Uh, (laughs) But the other thing that I get that I just – I love listening to in this album – was all of the tags that he would throw on these jokes because there were a variety of tags. Like it was hard to, and that was what made it hard for me to guess what was coming next. Cause I could tell just because I've listened (laughs) to enough comedy that like, I know a tag is coming. I don't know what that tag is going to be. Like when he's talking about uh, taking his cat butters or butter, into the vet and they say oh for three hundred dollars you get them neutered and he says well i have twenty dollars in my pocket right now and then it ends up that he got his cat circumcised and then the (laughs) next tag is now we can be buried in the same cemetery and And then then the the next tag tag after that yeah because i want to be buried in that so it's just it's rapid fire and the 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 jumping off points like they're not going necessarily like sometimes they go from a to b yep sometimes they go to they go from a to one a they go backwards and then other times they are a jump to get to there but it's not a far jump it goes from a to like d and i think having that sort of control over it where yeah yeah, the next thing the next tag that i'm gonna say is a little bit outlandish but it's not a far jump for the audience to make in their heads. It's not going from A to X. It's going from A to D. Like you can easily trace how Mm -hmm. you would, how from starting at this point, you got to this point, even without having the points in between. Uh, And then there are other times like in the butter drill where he gives you the points in between, but because you might be unfamiliar with what, the line of thought is you don't know where he's going to go. That's it. It was just such a beautiful thing. The that along with the use of silence before each tag, you don't know where he's going to go. You don't. You have this. You're on the edge of your seat waiting for this next line. And then when he hits you with it, even if it's not what you were expecting, it's still the funny, funniest thing you could have possibly said. Also, middle of the joke tags are it's not okay some people might think it's easy but it's actually very difficult in terms of pacing 
and not and making sure the audience remembers where the joke is when you come back and it's really risky and he mm -hmm. does it very well a good example is i look like a mix between howard and joanne nemiroff laugh a lot of hojo fans here and mm -hmm. then moves on to the next, uh, the rest of the joke, and it's very solid. And it's a, it's a middle of the joke tag, which middle of the joke tags, well, the reason why they're risky is like, let's say I'm doing a joke, hey, why did the chicken cross the road? Pause. Why do they call it road? They should call it, I don't know, streets. I don't know. They should know. call it way. They should call it way, whatever. Fucking who cares? To get to the other side. Right, like you need to, the audience needs to get back to that original line to kind of almost cut the middle tag out to go from A to B again to finish the joke. Uh, so that tag has to be really fucking worth it in order for you to kind of go back and almost restart from zero. It, it needs to be, it needs to be worthwhile. And I think all of the mid tag, the mid joke tags that he does are worthwhile, but they don't yeah. distract from where the joke is going ultimately. And that is the, main thing and that's it's hard sometimes because sometimes when you're writing a joke you might have something that has a decently long setup or you might have a joke in and you know in the whole of a bit you might have a joke that falls somewhere in the middle that you think of a tag for but you're like i'm not sure if i can use it because that tag zigs and the rest of the joke doesn't even zag it just goes straight forward exactly like you're not even like it's it might be just too far of a departure so yeah. the fact that he's able to just have these little one lines thrown in and that's the other thing like the tags that he does are all like if they're mid-joke tags they're all pretty short they're yep. all just bop just smart. you go yeah and that way it you know it's kind of like i don't know the way i picture it is like if you're driving and you see something on the side of the road and you look over real quick, but then you're back focused on driving. Yeah. And it, it doesn't, that, that thing, that plastic bag that you saw floating around doesn't take your attention away from the fact that you're driving. You drive down the highway, you go cow cow, and then you keep going. Yes. That's... Yeah. That is a Midwest, again, that, that was a very Midwestern thing. That's so... I mean, cow -cow. you say cow cow, I'm, I, I say moo. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know where I learned cow cow. I think it was from my speech coach. But like, whenever someone say, here's the thing, I know some of our viewers are from all over the states, uh, and some are on the West Coast. Uh, whenever you're driving and you're with someone in the Midwest and they see a cow, we have to point it out and go, yeah, cow. No yeah. other animal, no you, one cares if it's a fucking horse. No, I care if it's a horse. Yeah, but no one are, points and goes horse. No one goes no, nay nay. No, no, yeah. no one does. If, if I see a cow, I will say moo. If I see a horse, I'll just be like, a horse. Like it, because I don't I don't know why. Because the horses are the more rare ones to see too. Yeah. Yeah. Like I you if you drive through western Nebraska, eastern Colorado, like you see cows and you see cows. a lot of them. But you drive through uh you know, you should be seeing just as many horses. It's right? like the saddest game of slug bug. It is. It really is. Yeah. 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 But but no one cares if you're the first or last person to say it. Like that's just how that works. <laughs> like it's a weird it's a sad Midwestern game. No one's a winner. But like, let's like talk like about most things in the Midwest, no one's a winner. 
let's let's talk about let's talk about there's a point in the album and Nick fucking addresses it, which is shows how much in control he is. There comes a point when your mind stops searching for the other joke, for the punchline, for the other shoe to drop, because you know you're never gonna expect it. You, yeah, you know you're not gonna guess it. And then that's and almost the magic's died a little bit in that. Nick mm-hmm. addresses it by going, Hey, a lot of my jokes are misdirections. What do I do? And he does something that like uh, Martin Urbano did that I loved, and a lot of other like it's a risky move that comics do, but it's one of my favorite things that comics do. He got an audience on stage, mm-hmm. and it you, is you do the audience participation in some form or another, like Martin Urbano who does the Mad Libs, or has them read jokes, his jokes. Yeah, yeah, the which is not I, a the new bit. No, the one that I'm thinking of that Nick does is when he says the math problems thing and he asks people to yell out numbers and Or before that Maddie reads jokes. Yeah. Yeah. And that is uh honestly the, the punchline is it is not misdirection, it's just all silly dumb wordplay. Goofy wordplay is all it is. Mm. There's no misdirection. And it is in a sense it's like a showpiece. It's like a right before intermission showstopper song in a musical you know it may not be super plot relevant it may not be you know it, it, it may not it just resets everything it gets everyone excited so you can reset and go back to it and he mm-hmm. does that really well you get he resets it and now people don't know what to expect again because he could pull from the audience he could do something wackier we're we're back we're waiting again we're waiting and yeah, yeah then he you, does you're... You're back on board. You're not tired anymore. You're rejuvenated because now you have to be on your toes. Exactly. And then you'll notice afterwards, a lot of his jokes aren't misdirection, but there's some wordplay in there. Mm. Uh, Or there is some uh, hidden information then revealed to make it a funny juxtaposition. Like I smoke vapes. They all taste like melted plastic. I think it's my lighter. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm going through a pack a day. That's like a $400 habit. It's fa- it, it's just, it's a good joke. You're back, you're back into the, and that's the other thing that I just enjoyed about this album so much is that like, well, all it's a different jokes, type of misdirection. It's still misdirection, but it's yeah, different. All, all of the jokes in this thing were jokes. Like it was, it was refreshing. Like there was no, like there was no subversive point to take away like some message that somebody's trying to do. And I'm not saying no. that I don't like that in comedy. I'm just saying that it happens a lot in comedy. So whenever you get away from that, it's it's almost a refreshing take. And it's not... This is meat and potatoes, but not basic. It's well-crafted steak and a well-crafted, really good mashed potatoes. Yeah, it's... It's just, it's good, solid, just, it's fun, it's goofy, it's silly. Like, you, some of the jokes you roll your eyes at, some of them you laugh out loud at, some of them, it's just, it's jokes. And that's not to say, again, that's not to say that I don't like comedy with a point. It's just refreshing when you have somebody who's, you know, that good and compelling just as a joke writer yeah like there's no underlying point that makes you you know 
endear to them more or appreciate them more. It's just jokes. Like that, yeah. that's, that was nice. This is what, I'm, I'm assuming the next couple of albums we're going to talk about will have some sort of grander underlying point. That, fuck yeah. 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 No. <laughs> yeah. But, and, next and time we're actually just going into the lawsuit of the SEC versus Carlin. That's it. No, no album. We're just going into the lawsuit. <laughs> yeah. We're going to be digging through legal documents about that. Just going to talk about, uh, but also like this is one of those things we talked about in our live show when we talked about Comeback Kid. This is one of those things that honestly I could show a teenager, I could show an adolescent, I could show an elderly person, conservative, liberal. This is honestly it's a for it's it's for everyone without being all ages or clean. Yeah, it's it's these are these are these are jokes. I don't even think I'd call this dirty. Like this is TV safe. Oh, he swears a little bit in the album and those are things that you would have to you know bleep out but overall like content wise there's nothing anything overly obscene or filthy it's it's just it's a it's a good album like yeah i mean if i was a parent and my child wanted to listen to this yeah i'd probably let them listen to it at you know you know one of the when they got to high school age if nothing else because they'll understand a few more of the references Maybe the fetish one might be a bit much, depending on who you are, but it's not, I wouldn't yeah. call it a scene. I, I think just, like, as far as, like, the intelligence of it, though, like, at minimum, you should probably be in high school with a decent yeah. grasp of the world to under, you, just to understand why some of these things and why some of these misdirections are funny so like you like yeah there are jokes in it that i think anybody of all ages could understand and get but you know teens and up for like that could really understand some of the things about it and you know going up to the older generation maybe the older generation wouldn't like this album uh as much because it's not your traditional comedian performance like it's not the you know it's not your jerry seinfields it's your it's not your i'm sorry say that again jerry seinfields no no (laughs) no say it no (laughs) i was doing i was drinking some soda and i i almost like choked a minute no fucking say it right sandwich uh jerry seinfield thank you I know I know how to say it right I don't know why it's just always fun to mispronounce his name or Rodney Danger Rodney Dangerfield like those types of people like it's not that type of comedy so maybe the older generation wouldn't like it because it doesn't sound like this thing that I know already so uh but I mean anybody who has he does remind me of Tom Lear the famous yeah uh so like you know you know maybe that generation but I mean, it's a uh, like th- this is an album that if anybody you know likes, like truly likes comedy, and is a little more up to date with what comedy is now, they would like this. They would yeah. enjoy it a lot. If uh, you like smart comedy, this is it. Yeah, this is exactly the special that you should and the album that you should be buying. Uh, yeah, I highly, and highly I, recommend this album to anybody. I will be putting the link to uh, his page 
on the description of this episode. Where yes. you can get it on Bandcamp and iTunes. Yeah, it's... Yeah, or it's Spotify few, if you just want to listen to it on Spotify. It's one of the few albums that you bought. It's going to be one of the few albums that I buy. Uh, I just haven't bought it yet. It's just... it's top, top to bottom, floor to ceiling, wall to wall. Good. Like there's, Good. there's very little that I could listen to this album and pick apart things that I didn't like. This may be, I like I was telling Larry and Alex, this might be my top three, top two albums of the year. This mm. and Quarter Life Crisis are, I think, my favorite comedy experiences this year so far. I would, I would have to agree to that because uh, I really like Taylor Tomlinson's Quarter Life Crisis. But yeah. then I also enjoy uh, Nick's album and immensely. If, I could, if, I, if, she, if Taylor Tomlin has her special as an audio format, I Tomlinson. will be Tomlinson. Yeah, I will be buying it. Uh, I believe she. I believe it is on an audio format. I'm just not sure. God, I hope so. I, I will be buying it. <laughs> I, I mean, it's it's not like she didn't make enough money off of Netflix for it. So fair, fair. It's just like. <laughs> It's one of those things like, hey, if I'm driving in the middle of the road, uh, you know, middle of the night, and I, uh, I'm listening to something, what do I want to be listening to? This is one of those things I want to be listening to. Uh, yeah. I literally is, just bought an iPod, and it's like, what's the first thing I'm going to put on that iPod? It's going to be this. Yeah, it's, 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 it's such a good album. Such a good album. And it's an album that, I would recommend, that I'm probably going to recommend to a lot of uh, younger comedians that I know. Whenever I get Spencer, if you're to... still if you're still <laughs> listening to this podcast, which God, I hope you still are in this quarantine. I hope you are, and I hope you're doing well. Um, <laughs> you know, you can just message him on Facebook, no, right? No, 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 no. Because here's the thing: whenever I do mention him on the podcast, I then know when he listens to the podcast because he messaged me directly. <laughs> I hope you're doing well, and I hope you're listening to this. Uh, but seriously, buy this. Listen to this album. This is even if you're like if you're a newer comedian, but like older. Seriously, listen to this album. This album is smart. This album is is funny. It's it's uplifting. It's goofy. It's dumb as fuck in a good way. It's one of the best ones of the year. And I think the, the the thing that I appreciated about it about it the most is that it's not a style of comedy that you really see highlighted. The slow. No meticulous like there's a style of comedy that i enjoy like i i used to be very slow and meticulous on stage uh i sped up a little bit over time because i had a bunch of people tell me like hey you're talking too slow you're talking too slow and i was like well fine i guess i'll pick it up a little bit but i still like the slow meticulous like i want to pause and i want to let everybody you know, catch up, have fun, guessing their own punchlines, all of that type of stuff. It's just a very hard style to do. You have to be slow with the purpose. You have to not speak yeah. with the same purpose that you speak. And I think newer comics think that just means I add pauses right before the punchline. That's not the case. That'll yeah. never be the case. You you go back through and listen to where he adds his where he uses pauses and stuff throughout this whole thing. It's everywhere. It's every part of the joke, 
every mm -hmm. part of every part of a bit he's pausing in the beginning he's pausing in the middle he's pausing at the end he's pausing at you know between tags he's pausing but whenever he can but why is he doing it? He's doing it to yeah. heighten the thing. He's doing it for you to focus on maybe his hand placement or his body or focus on what the situation. There was actually a point where he said, I got a new cat and he kind of paused and people awed because they're just visualizing a new cat. And then they're visualizing a little cat named Butters. It's, he's pausing so people can really get the image in. He's pausing mm. so people can, and why should people, uh, visualize it is your joke really need to be visualized mm. and that's a that's a hard honest question maybe your joke doesn't need to be visualized and the faster the better uh yeah yeah and i think may, maybe there's there's also things like going back to just myself my own experience people telling me to speed up and i'm talking too slow i actually have recently run into problems uh at least one weekend I ran into a problem and the, uh, the feature that I was uh, working with, I was in the MC slot uh, and the feature who was coming up after me, a uh, great guy, Des Moines comedian uh, by the name of Bill Blank, fantastic comedian. Uh, he told me like, there are some audiences where you need to pause more because they need their need to catch up with you and then the next show i went out and i threw in some more pauses and for whatever reason that just it started it, my jokes were hitting better again because i had gone so far the opposite direction where i was talking fast now it's it's finding that right balance for you really on how to use pauses and when to use them uh nick is just a master of it and can you know, he can tell a totally mundane story, but the way that you're, the way that you pause and the way that he makes you think about it is what makes it such a good experience. It's like you're waiting for him to finish and you're excited to go on that journey and he's giving you that tension. It's like, that's why I said the core and comedy are so closely related because it's so built on tension. Mm-hmm and he's building up that tension and so if you're a newer comic trying to do these jokes well where is tension important yeah where where can it where in my jokes can i is where where is it naturally building first of all where's the tension naturally building just looking at it especially if you're a story type of comedian you know go through and look at these stories that you're telling these bits these bits that you're doing and figure out as just as far as a story itself goes, where are the natural points of tension? Because that's what right. makes a story good. Uh, where are these natural points of tension? How can I heighten them so that the release and the relief of that tension feels better? Where, so it feels and it gets more of a response. We don't, we don't do homework on this podcast, but I think my homework for all of you listeners is go buy this album and then I'll watch it, listen to it, and then go watch John Carpenter's Halloween. Uh, both use tension very well to build up a feeling. <laughs> mm -hmm. Or the thing, either or, both are great. <laughs> but I've not seen the thing yet. It's on my list. I've seen parts of the thing. Uh, Halloween's one of my favorite movies. Um, Why does that not uh, surprise me? 
I own a, I literally texted you a blank, the blank that I bought that is the VHS copy of Halloween. Yeah, I know. Just cover, yeah. Um, but uh, no, tension is important for you to feel and to get excited to want to see whether the release, whether it be the punchline or Lori being safe, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's that feeling that you want to get. And you, are, as a comedian, I think sometimes as a comedian, you maybe focus on the words, which are important. But you need to focus on the feeling that that word gives. You know, how the feeling of what this visual you've created gives to an audience. And whether that's important, whether that feeling is correct, whether that feeling is what you want them to feel in order for the joke to have the payoff. That's why some comics talk about walking to a punchline. If your words that you're creating in your setup creates a bad visual, it's a bad walk, it doesn't make the punchline worth it. Mm -hmm. Or if the walk is too long. Yep. There are a lot of things that can make it not worth it. Uh, and your job is to suss out where that is. Uh, as well as, you know, the going back through and trying to find, you know, how do I, how can I use silence to add to my performance? Those are the things that I think if you're learning anything from this album, that's what you learn how to do. How to make the setup an appropriate walk for the payoff that you're getting. Exactly. And there are a lot of times in Nick's album where I think he overpays off for the walk that he gave you because of how many tags he throws onto the joke. Like the yeah. setup is the setup is pretty short and you're laughing now for, you know, 30, 40 seconds. Few seconds, a minute. Because even though the setup was short, he gave you a lot in return. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think that's the purpose of a tag, uh, is to extend that walk in a way. Also, when it comes to silence, if you time out his silence, this is just a little thing, and I remember reading it. Seconds, three to five seconds is when people start noticing silence. And that's usually how long you really need to hold for in order for an effective pause. You don't need to go super long. It's not like 10, 20 seconds. Yeah, it's a pretty short amount of time. Yeah, and especially in a joke. Like that's when people start thinking, get to it. Like these, these aren't long, they feel pregnant. They feel like pregnant pauses, but they're only like, mm, three seconds and like if if you and I were quiet for like three seconds right now that still felt like a lot yeah and if you can time that appropriately and you know sometimes you might vary how long you pause because if you're using it the way that Nick does and you're pausing for effect and you're, or you're giving these, sorry, not you're pausing for effect. You're pausing to give these people time to like guess their own punchlines. If they're still laughing for a little while, you can be quiet for a couple seconds longer before you finally give them the actual punchline. So sometimes the audience will dictate how long you get to pause. If you're in front of a rowdy audience, maybe you don't get to pause. Maybe you have to go right into your punchline and your joke. But if you're in the front of a good audience like he was for this album recording, you know, you, you, you can let the audience 
dictate how long you pause and that pause might be longer than it is normally it might be shorter than it is normally it just all depends on how you're reading the audience and what you think you can get away with exactly and it, it is a read of the audience and that that might seem like a wild variable and i don't know how to explain that like you do comedy enough times you know when to go slow when to go fast when to go loud when to go soft for the right audience like yeah if you've been in front of enough audiences in a very in a different number of places different number of people different number of situations you eventually just start to kind of get a natural feel for what that room needs like i've yeah. i've noticed over the past year that i've gotten a lot better with that i've learned to suss out what but then there are times when I still lack. Like I go in and I try to do my thing the way that I want to do it. And the room's just not on board with it. And then the next comedian you see go up who actually adapts well to the room does really, really well. Uh, a little side tip for newer comedians. If you are not first, watch the comics before you. Mm -hmm. Watch they, at least... If you if you're on a if you're on a showcase and there are eight comedians on and you're going fifth, at least watch the first two. What are they liking? You, what are they not? Yeah, if you can watch three, but yeah, again, that just depends on how long sets are. If everybody's doing like five minutes or whatever, and you still need to like prepare and get in the right mindset, watch your first two. But if you can, try to watch as much of the audience before you go up as possible. That's kind of what makes it rough going up, either if you're hosting the show or if you're emceeing at a club, is you don't know what type of room you're going to be getting right away, uh, especially when you're new to that type of, that type of work. If you're you know, a regular emcee at a club and you're uh, – you're there at least once a month, if not more or whatever, you kind of can get a feel for the room before you go in like, oh, this audience is here tonight. This audience is here tonight, uh, especially if you're at your home club. Uh, but if you're not used to it, you can really uh, misread a room and it's not any of your faults because you don't have the time to get a read on them. Exactly. You have, to, you have to go up and get the show started and you have no idea oh, are these people all drunk and rowdy? Are they, you know, calm and, you know, and cool and they want to just see good comedy and they don't want somebody coming out with like cocaine energy. And if you're a new, if you're an older comic and you have a, you know, a good amount of jokes or even like, you know, I'd even say just a little bit of improv in, uh, under your belt, you can change your tone, change your footing pretty kind of like sports. Like, you know, you know how to change your footing halfway through, depending on what the situation needs, you know, you, yeah, change. you can, you can shift and make small adjustments. So now either you're completely switching out what jokes you were doing or you're just changing how you deliver them. Yep. It's, you know, it's getting a feel for whatever room that you're in can be difficult. The thing that I appreciated about Nick's special is it seems like, it seems like 
maybe this is just because the album was so good. He doesn't seem to care about that. Like he's just going to no. do what he does, and that's that's it. Like either you're going to like this or you're not going to like this. But because it's so good and it's so smart and there's so many jokes in it, you're probably going to like this. Uh, which is a nice bit of, uh, which is a feeling that I want to get to. Yeah, this is. This is above what we can do, um, but it is something Nick is a comic that I strive to be. Mm-hmm. Some, yeah, you have control of the room, but in a sense that you aren't in a domineering, bombastic form. You can just do whatever you want to do. You don't have to yell at anybody. You don't have to try to yell over people, which hey. is, there's some people who, out, you could definitely tell that they're so used to performing in bars whenever they, like at the Omaha Funny Bone, they have a thing called the Clash of the Comics where, Hi, you know, new, done that new, one a few times. Yeah, I've won it a few times. I'm, Fuck I'm, off. In, I'm in their host rotation now. Um, uh, I've not won I, it. I've, I've actually been there for a couple of years now. <laughs> been in their host rotation for a couple of years now. Um, I've done great sets there, but I've not won. And that's just, I don't know, that. That, that there's so many factors that go into that um like the time the, i missed i missed up the host name yeah that didn't help uh, <laughs> but they like you can see people who aren't used to performing at like even people who have done the clash multiple times uh have done the competition multiple times they tend to do better than the people who have only been performing at bars because they come out with like a different energy. It's a, whether it's a nervous excitement or they're just so used to trying to scream their jokes over people that they scream their jokes at an audience that's trying to quietly listen to them. It's right. Like, it, it, like they completely misread the energy of the room, and that's going to happen. That's going to happen with young comics. You're going to go into a room, you're going to completely misread the energy, or it's going to be an energy you're uncomfortable with, and you don't know how to handle it. And then eventually you get to a point where you know how to handle it. So now you can take your energy and just go into a room and make it work. I will admit my favorite crowd interaction, I think almost ever, is what Nick did. Uh, a glass drops, which happens all the time. And it happens yeah. so regularly that the audience, you could almost hear the, the, the air being sucked out of the room while everyone's waiting to like, how is Nick going to address it? Mm-hmm. And, and you hear him whisper and look at that person, fuck you. <laughs> and, just, and just doesn't address it after that and just keeps moving on. And it's the, it's the juxtaposition of really nice Nick to just a mean boy and it's so funny it's mm-hmm. so it's so silly and it's it, it's a play on what comics and audience expect because guess what glasses drop all the time i think yeah. another good one that i like is uh comedy after dark rome just basically goes hey first one to spill the drink gets a free one uh and that is that is silly, and I think it's fun, and I, uh, my per- I like my it. Per- my personal favorite to do, and it's kind of, you know, uh, 
it's it's a well-trod area i'm sure i'm sure i'm not the only guy who does this uh but if i hear if i hear a glass break during my set especially if i'm in the middle of a joke and i'm ramping up to the punchline, i just say mazel tov and move on i was gonna i was gonna make funny go oh man you don't say mazel tov do you and then you did the fact that you said it, i go oh you are you are the worst yeah because yeah. you it's it's what it, the main thing that I do. For, the main reason I use that one is because it's just a quick way to address it, and now we keep moving on. Now I don't yeah. need to say anything. If I'm not in the middle of a joke, like if I'm between jokes and a glass breaks, I do something different. But if I'm in the middle of a joke, I do that just to move on. Like I don't want to address this right now because I am in the middle of saying something. And then yep. if it's if you're in a yeah, if I'm in a spot where I can take the time to actually address it, then I address it and address it, you know, to b- based off the situation, the room's energy, whatever you need to. But yeah, Nick telling this guy to fuck off was one of my favorites. That's perfect. It was great. Um, you also notice the more in control of your set you are, the less heckles you ever get. Yeah, the more in control of your set in the room, uh, even the people who do talk and heckle, they don't have the audience on their side. So you can, you know, they they get dealt with fine. Also, if you're creating a show, first two comics should be, your first comic should be one of your best comics. Uh and maybe the second one as well, uh, instead of your best best for the end. But so that way you establish control in the room so that way your weaker comics are not in control. Yeah, there is a show happening. You give the people who can take control of the room the mic first. So that way the people who have a harder time taking control of the room can actually have a fighting chance later on, especially if it's a bar show. If you're at a show at a place that is designed for comedy, like you can, it doesn't really matter too much. Um, no. it's, and that's only if you're a showcase. If you're doing a traditional three-person MC feature headliner, then well, everybody should be comfortable in the roles enough to get the job done. Yeah. Uh, David, I think, I think, uh, I, I think, I know the answer, but for starters, would you recommend this album? Absolutely, 100%. Yeah, ditto. What would you learn from this album or could teach somebody? Uh, The thing that I would want people to take away from this album, what I took away from this album, is, you know, the appropriate pacing, the appropriate use of pauses. Like, that's the main – and – you know, the different ways you can use silence in your set, whether it's letting the audience guess their own punchline, whether it's building tension that you're eventually going to release, whether it's uh, trying to set up an emotional moment that you're later going to subvert. It's, there's so many different ways you can use it that limiting yourself by just saying a joke takes it away like you have to pace it you have to pause when it feels right and if you use it effectively it can become you know a devastating weapon for you to use yeah 
I think always keep a, you, one, you can use a tool in so many different ways. And I think that is a big takeaway, a big learning tool. The idea of pauses can be used in so many different ways as an effective tool to make a joke amazing. Mm -hmm. uh, and that doesn't go with just pauses. It goes with anything. It goes for misdirection. It goes for wordplay. It goes for body movement. It can be used in so many different ways. Uh, and I think Nick Nemiroff's album is the best way to remind people that comedy is more than just the words you write. Mm -hmm. It is very much a performative thing. And uh, it's not just the words you, you write, it's, it's how you say them. It is how you say them. If it's just the words you write, then write a fucking book. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, it's, it's that. And also keep them guessing. You know, you got to just keep it fresh. Like, it's not always just pause to misdirection. It's wordplay. It's audience participation. It's control. It's, mm -hmm. it's, a whole, it's a whole act. It's a whole thing that you are juggling. And I think Nick juggles it really well. It's all smooth. Nothing ever comes crumbling down unless it's on purpose. Mm -hmm. and, that's the per and that's why this is one of my favorite albums of the year, if not period such a good album it's such a such damn a good, album. good album you're welcome and <laughs> yeah thank you for telling me about it and having us talk about it because i'll be honest i might not have given this a try otherwise i'm very here i'm gonna just see who it was but i am so very 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 lucky that i found that mm -hmm. um it was yeah, like yeah, follow comedians on Twitter because that's gonna be how you, how you, you know, how you find that. out about a what's going on in the comedy world, in the industry side of things. It's just a good way to be in the know. Yeah, uh, and I can't find out who tweeted it, uh, but yeah, it was just because of that I found this album, and that is. That is how I found it. In fact, that's kind of what, half the reason why I created this podcast is I wanted to discover and showcase different comedy that sometimes we get a little insular in what we listen to, you know, just mm -hmm. like music. And so you really want to showcase it. And that's what this is about is this is new. This is exciting. Go check this out. Eat it up, fucking sheeple. Uh, <laughs> Why did you get so angry at the end? I don't know. I don't. I don't know. But you know, I don't know. Fucking eat it up. <laughs> yum yum. Consume. Consume product. Don't ask questions. Just consume next product. Oh, um, <laughs> <laughs> All right. So behind the scenes, everybody, on this. Uh, since the since the quarantine started, we've been recording on Zoom. Yep, and it has and, not been going great every episode. Uh, no, no. Um, this episode, I found David Kalsgaard's uh, audio going from very slow to I to the point where I could not be able to hear him, and then it sped up. And then, what was an otherwise fine, great episode, at least I thought, during yeah. the fast, final five questions. Dick all. Uh, my phone. Uh, my phone died while charging, and then uh, when you got audio... back on the Zoom call, I could not hear anything that you said. 
and it, and I could barely hear David, and it kept dropping. The call kept disconnecting. So we're gonna just record the, you know, we're gonna do our final five questions, round this out, end this podcast, and you know, take us all home. Did we really need to do this? Arguably not, but I'm a sucker for tradition. <laughs> And it's just more work for me to do tonight exactly. before midnight. <laughs> what time is it right now, David? What, what time is it right now? Uh-huh. Let's date this part. Oh, it is 8.41 p.m. Mm-hmm. On Sunday. On, sund- on Sunday. And when do I release? We release on Monday. Usually around midnight, one in the morning. Yep. Yep. So that way it's ready for you guys right in the morning when you wake up. But now ah. Jeremy's going to have to do a hell of a ton of work to get this done. And I'm ah. excited to see how it goes for him. Oh, my laptop that I uh, finally like found and tried to get working. Uh, a laptop charger is not coming in until next week. So I'm doing all this on my fucking phone. <laughs> all right. well, let's just get down to it so we don't have to make any more work for you. I think the main episode, I gotta hope the main discussion is fine. I think there's one point I have to cut. Other than that, I fucking hope it's fine. I'm gonna have to listen to it and I'm gonna hate it so fucking much. Uh, all right. Anyways. Anyways. David. Yes. Fri- most frivolous purchase you bought during quarantine. The most frivolous purchase I have made during quarantine. Um, I haven't really made any frivolous purchases during quarantine um i think the only thing that i've bought like online during quarantine is a set of bluetooth headphones that's it yeah Uh, i'm currently looking to make a frivolous purchase though i just found out that uh omaha had an nba team back in the 70s the we we split it with kansas city was the kansas city omaha kings they're now the sacramento kings i've never heard this story before Oh, yeah, never at all. <laughs> Not like we did this yesterday. Um, but, yeah, we, uh, I plan – I want to buy a Kansas City o- uh, Omaha Kings hat. Uh, what about you? What's your most frivolous purchase? I bought iPod socks. Oh, yeah, iPod socks. Because <laughs> here's the thing. The iPod is coming in. Uh, I, I decided I, I'm buying an iPod. Uh, I'm buying a 6th gen. I wanted a 5th gen or maybe even a 4th because they're easy to open. I can put SD cards. I can flash mod it. I can replace the battery. I can go, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but those are a little harder to find. And a 5th uh, gen doesn't work on, on Windows 10, which is what I have. Uh, so it just wasn't going to be worth it. Uh, and uh, so the only one that could play video and work on Windows 10 is a 6th. So I'm going to run it as traditional as possible, and then if it ever goes kaput, I'm just going to replace everything inside. But that is different. They came with little socks back in the day, like basically little cloth pockets that you put your iPod in. Uh, I remember yeah, those. Yeah. Back when I had an iPod, I had some. So. Yeah. Like, you remember those little, uh, like, I also remember, like, phone cases that were just cloth pockets with Velcro and a little clip. Yeah. Oh, man, I loved those. Those are dumb and useless as fuck. I loved those. (laughs) Uh, So I bought a set of four for like seven bucks. And I go, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're arriving. It's a deal, though. It is. They're arriving before the iPod. 
and I, I <laughs> fucking love it. Oh, oh that's my favorite part. <laughs> They're arriving before the iPod. I'm a coming one of them. Uh, oh boy, just make it worth it. Um, uh, what was it? Oh yeah, any adventures like any you know inside or outside the house that you've done this week? No, I've explored literally every square inch of my house. There's nothing about my house that surprises me anymore. Uh, there are a couple of things that I've done, like I've gone on drives to help keep my sanity just to get out of the house because that's a, like one of the only safe activities you can do to get out of your house. Yeah. Uh, so I go on some drives and I've driven by some places and it looks like they're actually doing pretty decent work with the uh, lockdown in place like they're they're cleaning some things up like my neighborhood is just looking a lot nicer huh neat yeah yeah people finally have the time to do all those things they've been putting off yeah uh i found a patch of clovers on my front yard oh yeah that's right i saw you post about that on uh on i think facebook and instagram uh uh instagram and twitter which, uh, by the way, if you want to find, uh, find, look at this clover, follow me on uh, Facebook, or I'm sorry, uh, Twitter and Instagram, just Plum Jeremy. But mm-hmm. uh, uh, I decided to go look for four-leaf clovers, something I hadn't done since I was, like, under 10 years old. <laughs> uh, and it was, it was fun. I ended up finding a uh, thing of four-leaf clovers and taping it. Uh, the tape job's a little whack. Uh, and putting it in my wallet. I'm just going to throw it in my wallet. How it good. I had to get a new wallet because the metal wallet I bought, it's uh, all the screws fell out mm-hmm. and got <laughs> lost, and now it's just a pile of shit. Yeah. Let's just, so here's, uh, here's just how you and I are different. Uh, you found out that there was a patch of clover on your yard, and you went out looking for a four-leaf clover. Me, last year, when I moved into my house and I found out there was a patch of clover growing in my yard, I went out and I bought broadleaf uh weed killer and oh why would go- you get rid of clovers man no clovers are great clovers there's a bit of magic to it no you'd never but get rid if, of clovers if if they weren't growing right in the middle of my yard i might have kept them but they were oh. growing right in the middle of my yard oh they're growing right in the middle of my front yard uh right yeah. by the big old tree that's uh by my house like that big old bush uh oh, kind yeah. of there all around is clover. It's like, no, I'm keeping this. It's a, the way that the bush is leaning up against my house. It's like a fort. It's like a little, it's like a little playground. And then surrounded by it is clovers. This, it's fucking magical. No. No. <laughs> Whimsy adult, Kill your weeds. No. No. Look for that four-leaf clover. It may not be pretty. Mine doesn't look like the one that's on my necklace. It's not all even, but it's, it's, it's still lucky. <laughs> Uneven luck, but luck. Eh, it ain't pretty, but it still works. I love it. <laughs> uh, what's any new jokes you're working on? Uh, yeah, I just I came up with the joke idea. Uh, on I think it was Friday night, where yeah. uh, I it's still very early in the premise form, but it, I have a lot of friends who are having kids, and that means I now have a bunch of new names to remember and just you know the struggle of trying to remember your friends kids names and how it's apparently unacceptable for you to not remember even though 
I didn't sign up for this. Have you tried Little Bastard? Uh, you see, I kind of wish I'd done what my dad did. Uh, my dad gave nicknames to all of like his friends' kids. I honestly don't think my dad knew their actual names until their high school graduation parties. They're all chief. Yeah. Yeah. And chief. <laughs> I'm going to be the coolest fucking uncle. That's what I've learned. No, I mean, his, his, his nicknames were creative. And I did yeah. do that for one of my friends. One of my friends has a daughter named Olivia. I call her Olive Garden. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Now, I'm going to be the I'm going to be the uncle with the beer and a smoke calls everyone chief. And when the when the one that mouths off to me is 13, I was like, "Hey, try some beer, don't tell your ma. Get the fuck out of my face." You're you're going to be the uncle that when their friends see you, they're going to be like, "Wow, I can't believe you didn't molest you." <laughs> hey, how you doing, chief? Oh my god. Uh, yeah, you're gonna probably need to cut that joke. Yeah, man. Uh, I actually see, man, no. <laughs> uh, actually, speaking of jokes and cutting, I ran through the two jokes I've been working on. One about mm. my mom uh, telling us growing up, you know, if you leave us, if you do this, you'll never see mom and dad again. And then a few years later, my dad left. So like, she's half right. Uh, <laughs> and she looked at me and was like, hey, that's really good. And yeah, it's a lot of fat in the beginning. You got to cut that. And I go, shit. <laughs> I mean, you're right. <laughs> uh, how's it feel that your mom's a better joke critic than you? No, no, no. No, no. I think I've mentioned this on the podcast. I told you, when she ever she goes to the funny bone, she writes detailed notes. <laughs> and she goes, you know, this comic's doing it this way, this way, this way. I know your skill set. Why don't you pivot to storytelling? And I go, fuck. These are really good points. Like, <laughs> like she's my Mickey. Like, I don't, I don't think you get it. Like, like she gets it. <laughs> like, most people are ashamed to tell dirty jokes in front of their mom. I'll do it, and then she'll go, hey, hey. Where's the laugh line? And I go, all hey, right. Here's a tag for you. Here's a tag. Also, the punchline's just a swear word. We could spice this up a bit. And like, here's the thing. I was great for workshopping. I, I, it, I was great at it. Um, I've been working on that joke. I've been working on Dave with a gun. Big Dave with a gun. Big Dave with a gun. And here's the issue with Big Dave with a gun. I ran it by her. She goes, where's the punchline? Where's the funny? And I go, shit, you're right. It's a very funny premise. The, the, the idea is goofy, but how, how do you end it? <clears throat> uh, Dave, Big Dave of the Gun has transferable skills. He's the, only, he's the only athlete with transferable skills. Number one draft in the NFL. And the Browns still find some way to fuck it up. They... They would undeniably ruin Big Dave with a gun's football career. Undeniable, if I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I'll, I'll keep playing with it. I'll keep talking that to myself, but it's a lot of fun. Uh, that's, that, buddy. that's what I've been working on. That and the, uh, the line that we did from the other podcast is, uh, God is an ex that calls my mom. Yeah. Did that in open mic. Worked. Nice. And one thing I know that makes Big Dave a worthwhile premise is while I was doing the podcast, uh, while I was doing an open mic on Zoom, 
and I mentioned Big Dave with the gun, people started asking questions and texting questions about Big Dave with the gun, which tells me people are engaged. People want to know about Big Dave with the gun. He's a mysterious fellow. He's like Paul Bunyan, but with a gun. <laughs> it's like Santa Claus, but you know, with a gun. <laughs> Less, less Paul Bunyan, more Ted Bundy. <laughs> He's like the Easter Bunny, but with a boxing career. That's right. <laughs> Easter oh. Bunny's packing. Oh, fuck. That's it. That's the bit. <laughs> there you go. You found it. There we go. That's the dumb joke. Ah, <laughs> oh, fuck it. That's stupid. <laughs> Do you like jokes, David? Oh, I love jokes. I absolutely I, love them. I love dumb shit. Uh, I like I like being goofy and dumb. I'm gonna have to write this down, or I will forget it. Uh, but yeah, I love dumb shit, and I like making people happy, especially during the dark times. Yeah, that's, uh, as I say, in the middle of a dark room. <laughs> it's li- it's literally the only thing I bring to the table in times like these. Yeah. No. Yeah. Yeah. No. That and my raw sensuality. Like those are the only two things I have. Oh, gross. Oh, god. <laughs> <laughs> never been more offended by anything anyone has ever said uh, even even with the snorts that followed after it oh that made it so much worse oh that was worse than racism <laughs> oh, I'm, kidding, I'm kidding I'm kidding I need, I almost want that to be the title, but I think the title is going to be Comedy Edging. Comedy Edging? Yeah. We're going to lose viewers. We're going to lose viewers. I have found that our most viewed episode is I Just Take Quaaludes. So, no. No. So, we need to do the inappropriate ones. Okay. Lean lean into this. Lean in. Uh, Where can people find you, David? Uh, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at David underscore Kalsgaard. That's K-O-U-S-G-A-A-R-D. Or you can find me at DavidKalsgaard.com. Uh, you can find, find you? Plum Jeremy on Instagram or Twitter. Uh, and uh, if you want to find the podcast, uh, it's Running the Light on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Just look for the big red light. And we're everywhere you're listening to podcasts. Uh, guys, wash your hands. Stay safe. Uh, we love you all. Uh, Zoom sucks ass. And Shaka bra. Shaka, bro. Stay up, uh, ski slopes. Don't. <laughs> you got to talk about your raw sensuality. I get to say that. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>